Hello, I'm Mary Cray. Welcome to the first episode of my podcast, Emergency on Planet Earth. Ever wonder what MPs get up to when Parliament isn't sitting? This week, I cycled 20 miles up the River Lee to visit the oldest fly fishing club in the country. My host was Fergal Sharkey, former frontman for The Undertones, and I visited the last breeding population of brown trout in the country, learnt about crayfish boiling, faggot making, and saw blue mayflies dancing. It's 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning. I have been invited by Fergal Sharkey to go and visit the Amwell Magna Fisheries. And rather than take the train, which took an hour from North London, I thought I would go along the Lee Valley cycle path. I've just cycled for half an hour uh, and I've just left Tottenham Hale. And as you can probably hear, I found myself next to an extremely busy dual carriageway with a railway line on one side, a very busy road on the other, but there's a green cycle path through here. So I'm just hoping that this is going to lead me to the Lee Valley Park, where hopefully there'll be a 50-mile bike path and a lot more nature to have a look at. But so far, there's an awful lot of vehicles, transportation and electric pylons. But even here, nature is thriving. There are dog roses. I can see the blackberries about to blossom and after a big shower of rain in the night, everything's looking very green and lovely, but I'm very keen to get away from this traffic noise. I finally escaped the noise of the traffic and the M25. I've cycled past London Energy, an energy from waste plant that takes the refuse that can't be recycled from North London boroughs and turns it into electricity. And I'm now following the electricity pylons up the canal path. Well, an enforced pause. I'm now on the Lee Valley navigation and um, was treating it a bit like the M1, going pretty fast, third gear, foot down, and got my comeuppance. I've brought the wrong bike. I'm on a narrow, tired road bike instead of a, a wider, tired bike, and I've fallen off. I have got blood dripping down my leg. I'm absolutely fine, but it's been a bit of a shock to the system. So I've got off, had another little drinky, got a tissue out, and I'm going to get back on the horse. That's the best thing to do. Eight miles to go. Well, after two and a half hours riding up a fairly rocky canal path on a very thin tired road bike, I have finally arrived at the Amwell Trout Fishery. I'm sitting here with Fergal Sharkey, who's just cleaned up my, my knee. And well, I've cleaned up my knee and uh, Fergal's made me a cup of tea and chocolate biscuit. So Fergal, tell me, what is it that we're looking at here? Uh, we are now sitting in the Amwell Magna Fishery which is the oldest fly fishing club in the country that uh, for a 178 years has been sitting looking after the two and a half miles of river valley that we're now in. We own repairing and fishing rights along all two and a half miles. It is the last remaining natural section of the River Lee between Hartford and the Thames. The rest, if anybody lives anywhere near the Lee knows, is a canal, concrete bowl, and this is also home to the last sole remaining breeding population of wild brown trout in the River Lee. 
Fantastic. There's, this is also um, a triple SI area. So as we were coming in, we could hear a cuckoo. There are amazing, brilliant electric blue damselflies. Tell me about the nature that you saw um, curled up asleep. Here. Um, it is an incredible place in that... Uh, I think last Sunday when I was up here at 8 o'clock in the morning, there were three mudjack just up the bank. And classic picturesque Dear. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, mist beginning to clear. Suddenly three mudjack appear out of the vegetation. There are some red kites nesting a little bit further up the river. And so far as we're aware, we have one of the biggest population of water voles in certainly Hertfordshire. And indeed a couple of weeks ago, just over there, about 15 feet away from where we're sitting... I could actually hear him before I saw him and I could see the little bits of vegetation waving back and forth and then collapsing and lo and behold this was Mr Watervole in the middle of the vegetation having lunch and uh, promptly after lunch the sun came out and Watervole appeared on the top of the bank fast asleep having a nap <laughs> as you do. Fantastic. I feel like I could do with a little nap on the riverbank after my long ride. Do you have otters around here? We think we may have. Uh, there's been quite a lot of work and we work very closely with the Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust. So we know there's otters on a river about five miles away, the River Stort. And there has been attempts to create this little tributary in our river here, about a half a mile up the bank, called the River Ash, to create a green corridor linking the River Lee with the River Ash with the River Stort. So we're beginning to think and see possibly the first signs that we may have an otter on the river. What are those signs? Just over there by that weir, about two weeks ago, there was an enormous big trout, about two and a half, maybe three pounds, with only the head end of it eaten. And I'm told that's classic otter, that they will start at the head end and start eating their way down the body. And apparently, and I'm just repeating what I was told, the brain is where all the nutrition is and all that kind of good stuff and that's why they'll start at the head end and then they get a bit full and they'll leave the rest of it and come back at some point later on. We've also found quite a lot of crayfish up on the uh, weirs and the bridges across the weirs and again that's indication clearly that something's been in fishing in the river picking up crayfish from the bed of the river and bringing them up onto the bank and then digesting on crayfish claws and everything, crayfish tails and everything else. I like a crayfish. Now, there's an issue with crayfish in the rivers, aren't there? Do you want, I saw that uh, there's a sign in your um, kitchen yep. warning you about crayfish. I'm, uh, as a cray, yep. um, <laughs> <laughs> can you tell me um, what, what are the issues and which ones uh, are we allowed to catch and which ones aren't we? The, or are we allowed to catch all of them? Uh, probably not, and I suspect that most people won't. Uh, we have, unfortunately, introduced into the United Kingdom a thing called the American Signal Crayfish. And uh, it's a bit like the, the grey squirrel. It's incredibly aggressive, incredibly competitive, and carries a virus which it's immune to. But ironically enough, the native white claw crayfish is very susceptible to. So the American signal crayfish fundamentally attacks on two levels. One, it will simply kill, bully, and take over any very available space on the riverbed. And that's assuming that it hasn't already killed off the indigenous population by the introduction of this virus that it carries. So we net and poach the river on a weekly basis. We remove hundreds of tons of signal crayfish, but we do all of that. A, they drill into the banks and cause the bankside to collapse, and that has an impact on the bankside vegetation. And as you can probably see, looking around you, Mary, we're quite keen on our bankside vegetation. Um, 
in, in terms of the insect life and the invertebrate life in the river, they're enormously damaging to all of that and the impact on the natural indigenous crayfish. So all in all, cray, signal crayfish are fundamentally grey squirrels and they're driving out the indigenous population and we go to great lengths to trap them, control them and try and manage the population. And when you've trapped and controlled them, can you boil them up in a stew and eat them? Are you suggesting that every now and again we'll just get a big old 40-gallon oil drum and throw 10,000 crayfish into it and invite a bunch of friends and family around? You bet we do. <laughs> the rest go into a freezer. One of the members keeps uh, Eurasian otters. And um, quite frequently he'll collect a few ton in his freezers and feed them to his otters. But yes, during the summer we will just get 20, 30 people, guests around and boil up a couple of 40-gallon drums of uh, crayfish tails. Make sure that um, you invite me to that crayfish boil. We certainly will. I definitely won't come on the bike. I will definitely <laughs> be coming on the train to that. <laughs> how do you not catch the other crayfish? How do you, how do you not catch the native species, the, the, good, the good ones? Um, the toll system is very heavily regulated and licensed by the Environment Agency. Yeah. So the traps that you use, because the American signal crayfish are much bigger than the indigenous ones, so you have to use a very specific trap that only allows both species in, but will allow the indigenous one to escape. And, of course, when we're taking them out, the contractor that does this work for us is trained and will inspect each of the pots and release any indigenous ones that may happen to be left in the traps. But, theoretically, they should be able to get out of there with ease anyway. What do you use to entice them in? Uh, basically, bits of dead fish, dead meat, dead chicken, anything that's a bit stinky, a bit smelly, they will go after it. So if I'd um, brought up the slugs and snails that I'd been picking off my strawberry patch yep. this morning as my gift to you, yes. you could have, you could have put them into them. a Thank crayfish you very much. We'd have been only too delighted <laughs> to offer them up as crayfish bait. <laughs> Good to know. I'm standing by the river and uh, Fergal, you've been saying there was, a, there was a gravel lake nearby and the Sand and Gravel Company put in an application in the 70s to dig up this river. Tell me what happened. The club has a long history of protecting this river. Or as I normally kind of sometimes try to explain it, the club is generically uh, 50 grumbly, cantankerous, middle-aged old men that are far too used to getting their own way in life. And not for the first time. Gravel Company applies to the local council. They want to mine and excavate gravel through the whole valley. That would have meant the river disappearing. So the last two and a half miles of the River Lee that, as you can see, looks like a river, would have disappeared. And for some reason the club had other ideas and other opinions about that. And the planning inspector ultimately decided that the river had to be saved for, at the time, actually quite insightful, far-reaching environmental reasons. And this is a very old fishing club. The records going back to the 1800s show that this was a very different river 150 years ago. Colossally different. The, this used to be the actual navigation from London. So there was a period in time people would be pulling 80 tonne barges by hand up this river. <laughs> Hard to believe it by looking at it. Clearly there was a time, and like all things the Victorians, uh, to be a member of this club at the time you would have to be a gentleman of certain means, shall we say. And they possibly took things to the extreme. So there would be occasions where people would turn up here and catch hundreds of fish on a daily basis and all of those fish would be killed and end up just being fed to pigs, being taken back down into town, shipped in into town, 
going to hotels for dinners and all kinds of things. And for me, one of the marvels in it is in the mere space of about 100 years how the fortunes have changed. Should you have an interest in Brownslight, this is the only river anywhere near North London you've actually got a remote chance to see a wild Brownslight. That's it. This is the last place that actually provides the environment where Brownslight can spawn. We've got a lot of trees in front of us in the river. Now you said that rivers are like um, people, they like to feel the sun yep. on their faces. Are these trees going to be taken out to restore the habitat? What's going to happen? This tree in particular is staying exactly where it is. Is ironically enough, you want trees, some of it in the river. This one fell down about two years ago. It's creating an absolutely fantastic bit of habitat. As you can see, the water breaks up and starts riffling and moving in quite nice currents around bits of it. Other bits of it are reasonably slower flowing, nice and calm little eddies. And I can tell you from experience, if you've ever gone anywhere near Mr. Crabtree's book on fly fishing, right now there is a big monster of an old brown trout sitting under that tree. It's the perfect bit of cover. The cormorants and the herons and any of the other fish-eating birds can't get anywhere near them. Perfect bit of cover. Where that river is moving quickly, it'll start digging the riverbed out and that will provide a nice little deep hole that we can go and hide in during the winter where it's just a bit more climatically better. And it's a perfect, perfect bit of river environment for a trout. So that tree there is staring exactly where it is. Some others we'll take out of the river. Some we will put back in. Some we will put bits of dead trees along the bank. And all of it is about is trying to create as much variable habitat not only for the trout, but for all of the fish species and all of the invertebrates and all of the animals that live in, on or near this river. You were telling me about the role of the hazel tree and the way that it's traditionally been used yep. to build river banks. Just talk me through that, how you make a faggot. It's a very simple little process. Frequently rivers will try and eat into the banks. And sometimes you want the river to do that quite naturally and other times you might want to slow it down a bit and stop it from eating into the bank. So a very simple, traditional, probably hundreds if not thousands of years old method of doing that is you simply drive vertical wooden stakes a couple of feet apart and then you get hazel branches and you weave them much like if you've ever seen that thing of people building old medieval and Elizabethan houses where they put wooden stakes and they weave hazel through it and create a fence. But you're doing that underneath the water. And the bit behind that, next to the bank, by the mere fact you've built that little fence, that slows the water down. The water then will start depositing silt behind that. And over the years, that silt will build up and build up. It'll start forming completely natural, hard-made terra firma land. And while that process is going on, that fence and the hazel fence you've created will gradually rot and decay into the river. And with a bit of luck, in about 10 to 15 years' time, you will look at it, it'll look like completely natural, hard, firm, healthy bankside, and you will have no idea that man was involved in the process at all. People have tried to use synthetics and any amount of technological trickery in the modern world, but curiously enough, just using wooden posts and hazels, faggots, is still to this day the best way to do it. So whoever thought up this idea, nobody's managed to better it and you've got this amazing sort of artificial fence that creates something that looks incredibly natural. Yep. Very good news for the squirrels as well. <laughs> so here I am sitting on the train at Hartford North Station after a really interesting day. Things I would do differently, I would 
use some bug spray so I don't end up with bugs on my face. I would use a bike with wider tyres and allow more time because it was a two and a half hour bike ride, not a one and a half hour bike ride, especially with the fall and the getting lost twice. But I also learned that Britain has 77 chalk streams. All of the chalk streams in the world are in England and in the southeast of England. The wildlife in them is under threat and under stress like never before. So we need to see the Environment Agency, water companies and us all working together so that the damselflies and the mayflies keep dancing in the heat of a May summer day and the cuckoo keeps calling and the otters keep eating that fish from head to tail. It's been a fascinating day. I'm looking forward to getting home.